If you like the Smug Film Podcast, do yourself a favor and head over to patreon.com slash smugfilm, where we've got a bunch of great rewards if you donate to the show. For $1 a month, you'll get a bonus mini episode of the show every Monday in your inbox, as well as access to all of our past mini episodes. These episodes will never be available on iTunes or anywhere else. The only way to hear them is by donating $1 a month or more through patreon.com slash smugfilm. For $5 a month, You'll get the bonus episodes, plus we'll do a 30-second plug of whatever you want on one episode a month. Whether you want us to plug your website, your movie, your small business, the movie The Protector with Tony Jaw, whatever it is, we'll plug it. And for $10 a month, you'll get the bonus episodes, plus we'll do that 30-second plug on every single episode of the show. So once again, that URL is patreon.com slash smugfilm. Head over there today, and we look forward to your kind donation. And now on to the show. Welcome to the Smug Film Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Clark. With me today is John D'Amico. Yo. And our special guest, John McGarry. Hi. Good to have you. Thanks. Good to be here. This is the the writer-director behind one of our favorite films of 2015, The Mend, which you can now watch on Netflix. If you haven't seen that already... You have no excuse now. Yeah. You gotta... (laughs) No fucking excuse. Just dial it up on the old internet. Watch it. Then come listen to this episode because we'll, we'll we're just we're not gonna hold back we're not gonna no. we're gonna assume you've Anything seen this movie yeah we're gonna spo- we're gonna spoil it insofar as yeah. it can be spoiled <laughs> yes we congrats really. on the Netflix by the way oh thanks yeah yeah it's a uh, it's all kind of a mystery to me because the um we have a distributor but then the digital life of the movie is sort of handled through a another place called E1 and so I don't know if you remember it came out on on amazon and itunes in, in september yeah and we had that. no and we had no idea i was warned i was told on twitter that it was on itunes really mm. yeah so i had to um reshuffle things <laughs> this so there, there was no advanced anything seems to have a big twitter life i've noticed that it was do, how i it thought does. about it too. yeah i wonder if it has a life outside of twitter <laughs> that's what i wonder about yeah it's kind of fun i mean i i don't i uh yeah it's weird i feel like i'm kind of a uh, spying on people sometimes um <laughs> But I definitely am. Do you like vanity search it a lot? Oh yeah, 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 all day, all day. Yeah, you no, wound I've up given a, up uh, so many of my hobbies. <laughs> a lot of the the best of lists I saw at the end of the year, like a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, it was really nice. It was a uh, it was surprising. I mean this 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 movie came out um you know first premiered at South by Southwest 2014, and so it had a long pre distribution life. It wasn't a life basically. It was just sort of like floating in a holding pattern for. Did you a solid year. Take it to a lot of festivals or is it just sort of fair amount, yeah. Um yeah. I mean Bam Cinema Fest was really big. Um Maryland was great. Showed in France where it connected with people, which as a snob was really great, <laughs> really gratifying for me. Um Italy. But then it wasn't it wasn't really until it it showed at the the MoMA um best movie not playing at a theater near you thing. Do you know that that they do it every year? Yeah. They have a program of five movies every year. It used to be a category for the Gothams, actually. It isn't for some stupid reason now. But uh, they pick five movies that are undistributed and show them at MoMA to basically sort of promote them as undistributed works. <laughs> so it's sort of like a it's like a program you don't really want to be in, but it's uh, it's helpful. Yeah, uh, Naria is it's like, like for L for leisure. It's like the it's like the the, the less cool blacklist. <laughs> um, but it, I think I think basically we got to just distributor from that our, our distributor is so this very small cinelicious this is l from leisure and what else were Elf, they good l for leisure uh uncertain terms 
approaching the elephant maybe no i don't know but it was like it was really exciting to get in that be in that group and to show it moma i mean it's kind of cool yeah that's cool it feels like a film like everybody knows watching it in probably the last couple weeks I know that's been true for for me, and I know you saw it fairly recently. Yeah, John. I saw it went up on uh, Amazon because everybody had talked such a big game. Yeah, <laughs> but like everybody now is just like watching, like, yep, loved it, yep, loved it, and it's like all like in this this little Netflix chunk, and it, it almost like you know it's not a uh, traditional like holiday movie, but it does deal with you know family dynamics. Yeah, two brothers, you know, watching it around the holidays. I think that kind of helped. It, it was a good time for it to be something that was instantly available to, to check out. Um, we should talk a little bit about what the movie is. Josh Lucas is the star of it. Two brothers. I'm trying to summarize it without giving too much away. Just for the people that listened anyway, you know, didn't, didn't listen to the uh, disclaimer of, come on, just watch it and then, you know, come back and listen. It's a hard movie to synopsize, actually. We've, we've run yeah. into issues with log lines and stuff on the... Because it just, you know, I, I, I click through Netflix and I see what our synopsis is and I'm like, I don't know if I'd watch it. <laughs> well, Netflix has <laughs> like kind of really weird ones randomly where it'll be like, hey, are you in like a dark mood? Like, check out this. <laughs> like, they get really buddy-buddy in like strange ways with their... Do you tra- like things that are witty and irreverent? <laughs> yeah. Did you dudes do the synopsis or was it the distributor? Which synopsis? There's so the, many of the them. The Netflix one. Uh, Netflix does it, I think, or E1 does it, not, not the distributor. I think we actually might've changed it. We might've had some influence on it. Cause you can go back to them and be like, can you guys make this a little more interesting? (laughs) Um, but no, I think ultimately Netflix creates the the synopsis, but the movie is, I mean, the movie is kind of hard to describe in a way that's interesting anyway, because I think the one thing that people connect to in it maybe is like the style and it's hard to say. Mm-hmm. what the style is in a synopsis it's just not you know the, the plot is basically a brother crashes his brother's party and then won't leave his apartment yeah so it's yeah. basically the easy, easy <laughs> setup and then they mingle with each other and talk and they have relationships and they fight well it's one of those movies <laughs> that definitely lends itself to word of mouth i think because like yeah just somebody saying hey i know you're gonna like this just watch it yeah and that's that's basically what john amico said to me it was just like all right you're watching the men yeah and i was what like the internet oh. said to me yeah yeah that's actually a good thing about Twitter. It's like I've I've actually seen you know people people say like D- just don't 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 look past the synopsis yeah <laughs> or look you know and it's like you know Josh and Josh has been in so many he's been in a lot of good things and a lot of bad things and it's just like he's not exactly what you maybe think about him or think of him in this and he's, he, he's doing something different he very much yeah. disappears into that role yeah like I hadn't seen him in anything in I guess a couple years yeah and. Seeing him again, I was like, oh, like he's like a hipster now or he <laughs> or he's like he really like disappeared into the role. It's yeah. like whatever it is, I'm down with it. I mean, I've I've been kind of like a fan of his for a while. I yeah. loved him in Undertow. He's that's amazing. I, I think I saw Glory Road on a plane and I was yeah. down with it. Yeah. Like I was like, all right. Because yeah. like it, it's a good like plane movie. Any <laughs> any inspirational sports movie, I'll cry on a plane. Yeah, thinner, but, thinner air. Yeah, but I I've he's been a guy that I've just if he's in something, I get a little excited. Like I'm yeah, a little yeah. happy. Was he that for you before you you met him? Yeah, totally. I mean, I when through the casting process, I mean, uh, we were I was connected to him through. I'm a friend with this director David Lowry. Mm-hmm. He made Ain't Them Body Saints, and uh, his name actually came up from our casting agent or our, our casting director, kind of very late in the process. She's like I. She's like, I can't believe I haven't brought this up, but he lives in New York and he's based in New York, which was a big condition. Like we couldn't cast anyone from LA really. Cause it would just, we couldn't afford to travel them or anything. Right. Um, 
And she was like, and he, no, he does, he's done small movies. He did like a Boaz Yakin movie. That's really crazy. Yeah. Um, I can't remember what it's called, but it's dealing with like memories of the Holocaust and like violent sex and stuff. It's just a big old mishmash. Of stuff. That's a whole lot. And he's just, on. yeah. And he's, he's, he's all out there. So the he's movie. game. Yeah. Yeah. He's definitely game. Definitely likes to be challenged. So he read the, he read the script very quickly, which is a good sign. And, uh, yeah, wanted to talk and, you know, knew what, I think he mostly knew what he was signing up for in terms of how small it was, but mm-hmm. it's probably still kind of a shock <laughs> when you see like, oh, so it's really just this apartment <laughs> and we have a, we had holding downstairs for, for actors, but they have no, you know, they have no privacy. They have no, it's, you know, it's tough. It's a, it's a tough working conditions are, weren't always so easy. I don't think. So the apartment, cause the apartment's, I mean, another character in the film mm-hmm. essentially, did you have the apartment in your head and then had to find it? Or did you have this apartment already? And it's my your, apartment. It's your apartment. It's really? where we live. Yeah. Beautiful. See, I, lo- I love yeah. that. Can I have its autograph? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. Sure. Come by. Does it have time. a SAG card? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's Taft Hart. Uh, yeah. Make my, a SAG joke. <laughs> my first film, I based it around whatever location I had. And I, mm-hmm. I love that because it's a great way to see a location you would never in a million years see. Yeah. And, uh, you're also opening yourself up to some real stress in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. In some way. Well, you know, it, it's funny. Like, um, like we, I had, re- I had been writing this movie that was in the, the Sundance labs years ago and it was like, it just got like, it was bigger and it got bigger and bigger and bigger and set in new Orleans. It took place over like 45 years. It just got this like, and I realized I'm like, I'm not going to make this thing anytime soon. Mm. So it, it was the whole process of writing the men and like doing the story with Amanda Joseph who's the producer of the movie and like my girlfriend, and like my girlfriend of 13 years, so we've been <laughs> together for a while. And our roommate at the time, Russ Harbaugh, we all basically wrote the story together, knew the apartment very well. And, you know, that dictates somewhat the shape of scenes is the geography of the place and knowing it very well, you know, makes it, I think it does make it, everything is a little bit more direct and a little bit closer to you and you can plan shots well and the the kind of uh, the shape of the scenes kind of dovetails really nicely with the visual life of the movie because you just know every nook and cranny of the apartment. Yeah, it's a um, rare thing for like a director to be able to like really sleep and live in the environment <laughs> yep. that they're going to shoot. Like, yeah. uh, you know, you think of like Apocalypse Now, but yeah. like, uh, you know, this is like a you know more livable example of that. Yeah. <laughs> but it is like weirdly immersive and like, um, yeah, the t- I mean, I'd say the toughest angle, it, the toughest part of it was that like it was nice to sleep there because I didn't have to commute at the end of the day mm. but it would just it just never felt I could never sleep really <laughs> I never felt comfortable because I knew come 5 30 in the morning a, a grip would be walking into my bedroom and right yeah you're trying never to try off. to reach yeah you're just never off you can never escape really and Minna produced Minna produced it with the other producer Mike Prawl and so there's no escape from that either mm. so there's no really know where to go to rest. <laughs> I think that I really, really dug about it too, is that like, you know, it's primarily a one major location film, yeah. but I didn't feel ever that the characters were locked down to that. Like that mm-hmm. was the confines of the world. It mm-hmm. felt very open world. Like oh, every good. time they left, it was like they could do fucking anything. Yeah. It's like you have that scene where they're dicking around with the, the PA uh-huh. at like a shoot uh-huh. and that kind of thing like makes it feel like, Oh, they could do, they could yeah. go up to anybody in the street and do yeah. something. <laughs> yeah. They don't, they don't feel so like uh, you know, hamster, like confined to this apartment, even yeah. though, you know, a lot of the film is about that feeling. It, yeah. You really get a sense that there's, there's an outside world, which yeah. I think you, you captured 
very, very well with it. And it was, yeah, it was important to me, um, like, uh, to bring the outside in as much as possible and not do it in a way that through setting it in some sort of heavy handed political, you know, like <laughs> it takes place and during the Republican convention or you yeah. know, something and just, yeah, you know, just like the helicopter sounds or whatever, just like just this awareness of things that are going on and, and knowing that the world outside is sort of moving in tandem with the, the narrative inside. It's funny you bring up the PA scene. Cause that still is when I, I don't watch the movie much. Mm-hmm. But when I do that cut, the cut to the beginning of the PA scene is always like, I, I'm just like, I, the, what I really like about it is like, I have no idea where this movie's going. <laughs> That's where I'm just like proud of myself. I'm like, ah, oh, man, this is, yeah, I've really confounded people probably with this. <laughs> well, it has that feel all the way through, which is, I think part of what we said before, which is that the style is just such a draw to it. But also like the big thing with this movie for me, when I came out of it, and I think a lot of people is you just go, where the fuck did this come from? <laughs> because it's, it's clearly small, but it's so poised mm-hmm. and it feels very confident for a debut. Like that, mm-hmm. the, you're, you're doing stuff that Scorsese didn't do until, you know, the two thousands with the irises <laughs> and everything. I mean, it's like you, it's like you did Cassavetes in the way of the departed or something, <laughs> which, yeah. I mean, I think there's a, it's a, I don't know who the quote is from, but like the, you know, the first movie is the movie you've been kind of in prep for your whole life. Mm. And so it, it, this one really does, it just basically became a big gumbo of every influence I could think of and every, uh, you know, uh, and um, yeah, it's weird. I, I don't think I was ever trying to, I think I was just basically trying to be open to every influence rather than specifically trying to chase down any influence and just being open to tonal changes and stylistic changes and knowing that they might, might be jarring. But I felt, you know, some, for the most part, because I went to film school, I'm, I've been do, I'm actually, you know, I've made short films and stuff, but I've been doing it long enough to feel fairly confident that like something will at least cut together. Right. You know, mm-hmm. one scene will follow another and it'll be jarring. And even now when I watch it, I, w- I just watched it recently with someone and it felt it, it's, it jumps around a lot, but um, it still somehow holds together. I think. I think it's, I, there's just like barely. an emotional core behind the whole thing. Yeah. There's, I, it, was that worrying the whole time? I mean, I can't even imagine oh, doing yeah. something that's that kind of erratic, but also oh, it's incredibly, uh, yeah, I had, I, especially when we started shooting and the performances were a little, you know, they're, they're always, the performances are always going to be different from what you expect, especially if there's no rehearsal time or, and so it, the question became, I remember Steven who played Alan, the younger brother on his, his first day on set, we started doing a scene play, It's actually from a scene that got cut eventually, but it's, he, he was playing it pretty, pretty darkly. And, uh, you know, he it seemed almost on the, on the edge of tears in, in terms, in terms of what he was saying. And I was like, Oh no, but maybe we should lighten it up. And, and I think it's actually pretty, this is pretty funny. I think what you're doing is pretty funny. <laughs> and he just hadn't thought of it as a comedy. He hadn't thought about it, the scene as, as being undermined at all by a kind of, uh, I don't know, like a sarcastic sensibility, but I was learning that too, throughout the whole process. I was learning what, you know, what scenes I felt were when it was okay to be embrace comedy and when I should just sort of like allow the characters to really interact in a way that feels uninterested in an audience's view. But it was really always, I always felt lost every day, you know, making it. I, at one point, my Russ, my roommate, who's a good friend of mine, you came on set and could tell that I was like on the edge, basically on the edge of tea and just break down tears. And he, he encouraged me by going like, no, it's great. It's a quilt. It's a big quilt. You're just making a quilt. <laughs> everything's like, everything's a little different. You're going to patch it all together and it's going to be great. <laughs> and that, you know, that, that was actually weirdly encouraging, even it's though it's just, look at it. yeah. Yeah. But it's scary. Yeah. I mean, you just don't know, uh, you never know. I, I, I like movies that are really messy and like big messes and just kind of watching how the director sort of, uh, 
patches them together. <laughs> was mm. there much that got cut? Not a huge amount. There was a lot of stuff per scene, like a lot of uh, um, dialogue was cut. I think it was definitely overwritten. Yeah. Um, and so Joe Krings, our the editor, was he was really he's really good at being pretty merciless with just like cutting out that stuff. Um, one of our biggest days was we shot in the basement at Lit Lounge. There's like a concert scene, and we it actually ended up in the final movie, but in like a tiny truncated form. But that was like you know two days of shooting, <laughs> <laughs> um, just like. Cause it just, it was a part of a movie where it, part of the movie where it just became a tangent that just, just dragged everything down narratively. Yeah. Um, but you know, no, no, we're all no. I mean, I think I, I get a sense some people would like a little more to be cut. <laughs> uh, some, I think, so, I, I think it, it, it can feel a little long to people. Really? Did you get that response? Uh, I don't know if you just get that sense. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I maybe read it somewhere, but <laughs> I feel <laughs> like, like yeah. every director worries that about everything he ever makes. Yeah. If and I had to guess. Yeah. Yeah. You just, yeah, you just, I, I think my biggest fear and maybe it's just, I, I think I'm too afraid of it is just boring people. And I don't want people to be bored. Yeah. Um, well, you see, I, I worry about it too much sometimes. You seem to get different responses and different milieus with this movie. You know, when I was like Googling around with it, Mm-hmm. It was almost like like different camps of experience with it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like the Twitter's like it's greatest movie of the year on Twitter, <laughs> and then Rotten Tomatoes is like a little more tempered, mm-hmm. and then IMDb like it feels like IMDb didn't quite get it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, uh, Netflix isn't getting it either. Really? Yeah. yeah I saw, well, I, there's a big split. Yeah. There's a lot of one star reviews. <laughs> I was seeing that. Yeah. And yeah. that, but that's not surprising. No. But it, uh, it's gone up. I, I don't know if you saw the 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 star rating on Netflix has definitely gone up in like the last couple of weeks because like the first time. <laughs> Like I looked it up. I think it was at like one star. Yeah. And then I like, I added, I added it to my queue anyway. Cause like, I'll just, I'll follow one of those like Netflix, like, cause they don't care about new releases on Netflix. Uh-huh. I don't know why they do it that way, but you have to go to independent sites to find out what the new releases are yeah, on yeah. Netflix and list That's form. Thing, Netflix, the way yeah. Netflix is so like, I'll just add whatever is interesting. Yeah. And that was one of the things I had. I had like one star when I added it. And then by the time you told me, to watch it it was like up to like three or four wow so i don't know if, i think it might have come back down again okay it's but that, that's that's also like a great thing too is that <laughs> yeah. if it's yeah if it's volatile he, yeah if, if yeah. it's that volatile that's a good sign I think. it was interesting though because you know it's what I, I was never interested in ratings on netflix at all until now of course <laughs> and uh t- i was you know i was looking through other like basically low budget in american indies and man people uh netflix's crowd is very harsh Mm. those there there's no uh they don't pull punches like i was like a doomsdays which i really liked and uh something anything and like you know they all all of them one star one star one star (laughs) it's amazing yeah (laughs) i think there's something more like when it's in your when it's in your and then hard to be a god i don't know if you guys saw that no that's like got three and a half four stars that's an extremely challenging movie extremely challenging very long it's got, got a good four star. Well, I think because I think people that watch it selects. Yeah, I think people who watch it. But yeah, I guess maybe it's. And then you start wondering. It's like, are people being fooled into the watching the movie, or why do they? Did click you ever on see the, the original of that, by the way, with Werner Herzog? I'm no. telling everybody to watch this now. Apparently, nobody knows about it. They did it as a TV movie in Germany in the 80s. No, and Herzog's the bad guy. No, check it out when you get a chance. Wow, is nice. It, is it easier to follow them? No. Oh wow. Okay. <laughs> no, it's not, and it's right. ridiculous looking. <laughs> Great. I'll search it out. But yeah, it's, it's, um, it it seems like that's kind of a success of your method then that you have, you know, volatility with it. Yeah. You know, some people can't deal with a quilt. 
and some yeah. people are dying for one. Yeah, and the question of when it's a new when it's a new director and it's just premiered at a festival, you know, the, one of the first reviews we had was terrible, was really mean. And it, yeah, the question is about of competence. I think you know. I think I, I think if people see something that feels uh, tonally a little bit all over the map or structurally weird or something, they might just think, "Well, this person doesn't know what they're doing." Yeah, they assume it's a fucking accident. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, it's all been kind of stitched together and then <laughs> th- th- thrown into a festival. It's weird. I mean, I think I think a lot of you know, and then maybe someone who heard about it on Twitter and from someone who really likes it, it is more likely to like it. We're more likely to be open to it, at least, which is good. Were, were you able to chart the like life cycle of it in that regard? Like, could you tell when it was starting to pick up, and then when the Amazon thing was coming? I mean, could you could you follow it? I mean, I do. I probably tried not to actually like map it out, but uh, yeah. I mean, there was a time after it came out in South by Southwest, the first year basically, where there were people who liked it a lot, but it was very a, a small group of people and it just didn't um it wasn't being seen by anyone who wasn't at a festival and then when it came out in august uh the response in general was was that's when it felt like oh people some people like it and even in la you know when i showed in la which you, i think you get more more cynical about showing something in la and but people were really into it maybe because it's very directed and people are get excited about that <laughs> there but um yeah, I mean, like where it is now is I, I six months ago I never would have uh, thought that people would that more than ten people would like the movie. So that's it's been nice. That must be a uh, light in a fire for you. Yeah, You're starting to pound out other ones. Yeah, definitely. Um, Min and I are writing scripts, several, a few scripts together. We have one that's set on a cruise ship, and this is what we consider our more commercial. wait Speed Two Cruise Control. It's it's Speed Two Cruise Control. Okay, <laughs> it's a re- it's, it's a rewrite of Speed Two Cruise Control. Nice. It's like the Point Break. Uh, yeah, reboot. <laughs> um, it's going to have a lot more extreme sports, to sort of like GoPros and. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I was on a cruise ship that had a rock climbing wall on it once. <laughs> there's so a scene. You need to write something in. There's a scene in ours with a rock climbing really? wall. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Which I'm which is a total production concern. I have no idea if we could ever like actually. <laughs> we must have been on the same cruise it's, ship. It's hard enough to get um, a cruise ship and then be like, well, there also needs to be a rock wall on it. <laughs> yeah. But that it's like a, we started writing like five or six years ago, just sort of self-consciously trying to write like a comedy, which is very fun actually and challenging. And you end up studying movies you never thought you would like, why is trading places funny? You know, why is <laughs> coming to America funny? Mm. Um, why are they funny? <laughs> I know there's this, it's funny. I don't, I don't actually love the John Landis movies as much as I used to because I find some of his style to be a little stifling at times. But um, I don't know. I mean, I think it's a, a kind of a generally kind of like a kind of lightly subversive view of life and trust in the audience to kind of get certain things and get why this is uh you know this person's an asshole or this person <laughs> but this is more this more is maybe a little bit more like altmany or or even like dare i say like david o russell-y in terms of its sprawl it's got a big cast and stuff mm. like that and then minna has a script that she wrote that was at sundance Labs a few years ago that's about the romantic life of a teenage girl uh that's really great that's the one script that we've that i think is like set like i think we could shoot it and it'd be great but yeah the question is like finding financing and producers and stuff and then i we're gonna work with mickey mickey sumner again um from the mend uh doing some sort of weird thriller involving a not a thriller it's not really a thriller <laughs> something involving like a brain virus and uh endangered animals where <laughs> it's it's all so you, have a, right you have a history of hard to categorize movies <laughs> <in this life. laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, those are the fun ones yeah I mean, yeah and they're but they are really you know once once they're finished 
and you know you're talking to a distributor that's when it becomes you're like oh shit what did i do yeah you know it's just like really hard to tell people what it is um, how did you how did you get around that i mean when you sit down or even when you're doing you know like the without a box submissions to everything in the first place how do you <laughs> yeah how do you even approach that with what you did i mean you you know you just uh the one it's funny the one of the our, my friend graham who uh did our our poster for south by southwest um he came up with the tagline for it's a stressed out comedy i, d- I love that yeah, yeah which is awesome we still use it we use it all the time and that's like once you can get something like that it becomes a little bit easier to sort of describe something i mean you know other than calling it a dramedy or calling it a dark comedy because yeah. right. it's not quite i mean it's not like heathers or something i think you think of a yeah. dark comedy but it's it's challenging and i and i and you 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 hope eventually you can leave it up to someone else you know, because the distributor might might be better at it than you are. Yeah. Um. And I have a I have a pretty limited voice anyway with my seven hundred Twitter followers. <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask you about uh, Austin Pendleton because mm-hmm. I, I actually met him once. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the other smug film guys, Greg Deliso, did a uh, a web series called Fake Henrik Zetterberg, which is about a. It, it was basically his buddy looks like this hockey player, Henrik Zetterberg. <laughs> so it was a series called fake Henrik Zetterberg and Austin Pendleton was in it. He was in their little web series and I, I got to meet him and he was the sweetest oh, yeah. dude. Yeah. Such a lovely human yeah. being. Yeah. And was like shaking everybody's hand who was on set, asking their name, talking to them for a little bit. Just the nicest dude. How did you come in contact with Pendleton? Um, Partly through the uh, the Sundance Lab. Well, I was in the Sundance Lab in 2008, and when you do the director's lab and you're based in New York, they usually get all the directors to do like one or two nights with Austin Pendleton where he basically just talks about directing actors. Because mm. he's an amazing director. Yeah. Um, and he's, he's a Broadway just, director, He's so right? smart. Yeah, yeah. I don't know about actual, bro- but yeah, stage director in New York. And he's been in 150 movies. Yeah. And so I was, so we were, you know, trying to cast around for that role, which is kind of a strange role. And it's, yeah. it's casting a man in his 60s. And so it's not easy because at that point, either you're, if you're, you're either too successful to want to do some tiny movie, you don't want to bother with it or you're a weirdo or, <laughs> you know, um, but we, you know, we reached out to him and he, he really liked the script. I was definitely, you know, the, the party scared me for a lot of reasons, partly because it was four nights. It was a lot of people, mm. a lot of just logistics to, you know, kind of balance around in your head. But one of the big things I was nervous about was him because I was just like, oh, God, he's he's so smart and he's older. And, you know, I'm, I don't know, for some reason, I still have this weird awkwardness around uh, people who are uh, father age. <laughs> <laughs> um but he ended up just being so great. And actually what I didn't bank on, cause I uh, wasn't really thinking about it, but it's like all he's revered by a lot of actors, yeah. everyone. And so watching him kind of hold court in a scene and then watching the actors kind of feed off him was really fun. He actually ended up being kind of the glue of the whole thing. Mm. Um, and it was four, four nights, you know, he's, he's I don't know, 75 years old and he's, he was totally down for it. He basically, he's pretty good at like, you know, when the, when the next setup is happening for the next shot, he'll just, uh, he'll just sleep. He'll just go to the couch and sleep right <laughs> nice. in the middle of set. <laughs> That's the weight of experience. Yeah. You know you <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. And he seemed just cool with it. Yeah. He's like a very, like, he's just like a loose dude. I did. I, one story I like telling about is he's a, he's an, he's kind of an odd, odd duck too. But, um, when I was doing this Sundance labs thing at one point, he, um, he basically sat down with a few of us and like we were going through, I don't know, a scene from Streetcar Named Desire or something talking about it. And I just remember um, while we were talking, me and another director were talking about it and I turned to my right and 
Austin was just basically dry. He was just dry shaving his cheek with a with a <laughs> with like a Bic razor. Nice. With I just thought it was like, like Bill Duke and Predator. He like he, he like had it in like a, a Ziploc bag that he just brought out and just started <laughs> shaving. Right and I don't think he even had any hair to shit on the on it. it was it was funny. It was like a, a weird um tick or something. Did those scenes? I mean, did that help everybody kind of find their uh, character? I mean, that must have been great to sort of have somebody that experienced. I guess I mean Josh is too, but you know, yeah. like somebody just who's been doing it for forever yeah. in the center of this scrappy yeah. production. You mean, did it help other actors find their character? Yeah. Yeah, and I you, think so. And, I mean, I, I think so. Cause he's a very generous actor and he's very, he's very loose and knows how to kind of like, you know, his, his intentions as an actor are very clear, you know, like for an example, like Alan Stevens character, Alan will say something over, basically over the line with his girlfriend and he's, you know, and Austin as Earl, will just like reach in and kind of grab and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, just like it's, it's, it's just a, he's a giving actor. And he's all he, he's he doesn't always seem like he's you know you're you're not always, always sure that he's in it but he's totally in it you know, yeah. he's totally like every everything you know, but it, that's the character the character is a little bit mm. you know he's an, he's an oddball <laughs> um, but yeah there's just like that that kind of like you know that history but also that uh, just just like confidence and every everyone was trying to like rise to that level which is great yeah and in terms of the the dance the, the party itself by then it was I don't know three or four weeks into the shoot so. Hopefully everyone had figured out their character by then. Maybe. Hopefully. <laughs> How long was the shoot? Twenty-five days. It's pretty good. Plus an extra day to shoot that uh, the dog scene with the bookshelf on the dog with with Austin because that was a totally different. Look. That was actually in Bushwick. Yeah, I'm mad at you for the dog scene. By the way. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> at least we didn't have it wiggling around or anything. Yeah. Um, such a strange scene. Um, but it was in. You know, I, I think I wanted that. The, the character of Earl was uh, actually based very, very distantly on a real person named Earl McGrath, who uh, I just actually, I just showed the movie to him actually recently. He's an 85-year-old gallery owner, lives on West 57. He's lived on 57th Street for like 60 years or something in the same apartment, the same insanely cool apartment. And I wanted to, I guess with that scene, I wanted to kind of express like, a, you know, in the party, sort of the life of the party. And he's this like, it's almost the... It's almost who you want to be when you get older. Yeah. You know, oh my gosh, this guy, he has so much history, but he's also so confident. He's so wise and he's also can still command a room and still, you know, still has such confidence. And then I wanted to kind of pull that out a little bit in the next scene and make him just seem a little bit more maybe hidden, hidden, hidden wells of rage. Yeah. And uh, just seeming like a frailer, a more frail object. Yeah. And also like that impossibly heavy bookcase was just like the perfect thing for him to have in his apartment like yeah. the kind of like bookcase where like you don't know how it got into place to begin with <laughs> yeah. or the materials yeah. or, or why it could yeah. possibly be that heavy but for some reason yeah. it's just that or how the, heavy. You know, how this this little old man was yeah. able to push that over but no one else can move it I like that. yeah where does one procure a, a dead dog for a scene that like was that, our production designer's dog he slaughtered the dog and, <laughs> and a week before and then stuff, yeah. had it stuffed. Uh, no, he, uh, Marcus, was, I went to film school with him and he directed a movie that took place um, with Louisa Krauss, actually, who's, who's also in the movie. It took place, I think, in the desert. And he, for whatever reason, needed a stuffed, it's actually a coyote. Mm. And so when we well, need dog, he's like, I have, yeah. I, have stu- I have a stuffed coyote. I'm going to go to the IMDb yeah. Goose page and I'll be like, that was actually a coyote. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those are all, that's all, that's all. I think actually it might've been a, 
In the script, I think it was a cat too, which mm. probably would have caused much more outrage online because people are so weird about cats. Yeah. But, um, and also looks definitely less like a coyote. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, that's true. I think that's why we went with coyote. A little, little trivia for you. And that's, a little yeah. trivia. Cats don't look like coyotes. And that's, and that's how you adapt to the, uh, <laughs> the needs of production. You know? It's good you weren't like, no, it has to be a cat. It's got to be a no, cat. There, no, I was realistic enough. There's, there weren't there weren't too many things that I just wouldn't budge on. There's a symbolism. You always have to budge. There's, there's a metaphor to the cat. Yeah, it has to yeah. be a cat. No. <laughs> so yeah, he just had this dead dog stuffed dog. He had a stuffed dog from a movie that mm. he made, that he made, and he still had it. Because he's a production designer, so he holds on to a lot of stuff that mm. might come in. You never in. know you when you're going to need a dead dog. No. And, there, and, and lo and behold... There Somebody should do like in 20 years, like a documentary on the lifespan of that dog. <laughs> All the movies that prop winds up in. Yeah, it's like the Wilhelm scream. Wilhelm yeah. scream of it. Yeah. <laughs> the hero prop. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break right here and then we'll be back with John McGarry. So stick around. Hello, Smug Film fans. Did you know that Smug Film now has a voicemail box? Just call the following phone number. Seven one eight three nine five nine seven one one, and leave a question or a comment about the show along with your name, and we may play it on a future episode. Thank you for listening, and now, back to the show. And now, Chloe Peltier reviewing a movie she's seen parts of while working at the theater. Okay, so I have a gripe with the big short. There's this very pivotal scene where a very important concept to the film is being explained. And the guy keeps throwing stuff into a trash can in the office that he is explaining this in. And I'm taken out of the scene, not just because of how fucking contrived it is, but because whenever he throws stuff into the trash can, the trash can is unlined. There's no bag in the trash can. It's just a fucking bare trash can. It's empty, too. Like, there's nothing in it. And... So I try to rationalize it to myself. I'm like, okay, maybe they thought it would make a more impactful noise if it was empty and unlined because it's all every time he throws something in it, it's like, bam. Or maybe they thought that they could illustrate that guys in offices with business suits are kind of like on their high horse and they don't give a shit about the janitors who have to clean up after them or whatever. Or... Maybe fucking this happens in like every movie. I've noticed it in other movies. And this is the movie that made me realize it. There's other movies where in offices, the trash cans are just fucking unlined, man. And it's like, could they, could they not have taken two seconds on the sets to fucking put a bag in a trash can? Just to, you know, make, it, make us feel a little bit more like it's a real place that we're watching. And I know it's a stupid gripe to have, but it's like, there's little stuff like that that fucking bugs you about shit. It's like in uh, sitcoms when people put their feet on the bed with their shoes on, you know, that happens all the time in like, say, Gilmore Girls, for instance. Like, you'll be having a perfectly fine time watching Gilmore Girls, and then all of a sudden Rory will put her shoes on the bed. It's like, damn it, bitch. And the only, like I said, the only rationalization I could think of is if they were trying to make Rory look like a careless jerk. But Rory isn't a careless jerk. She's a nice girl. So it's like, obviously none of this is on purpose. So I feel like attention to detail needs to be taken in these things. Not just trash cans, not just shoes, but just little stuff to make us feel like like we're in a real place. Thanks, Chloe. And now, back to the show. 
Ladies and gentlemen, the Smug Film Podcast is brought to you by Jay Brunner at Bobby Slow on Twitter. That's the name Bobby and the word slow. Follow this guy on Twitter. He supports us on Patreon. Good man. Good tweets. If you like funny things, if you like people that exist, he's certainly one of them. So uh, check out his stuff. Follow that man. Enjoy yourself while doing so. Also, if you haven't checked out Minor Key Games, do yourself a favor and do that. Minorkeygames.com. Great computer games. Cheap, too. They're always doing some sort of sale on there. I love their games. Super Win the Game, Eldritch, You Have to Win the Game, Neon Struct. These are good games, folks. They're made by Dave and Kyle Pittman, and they support the show via Patreon, and you should check out their stuff. MinorKeyGames.com. Now, our other sponsor is, of course, Rick Harper, Room Full of Spoons, his upcoming documentary on the movie The Room. Find out all about it at roomfullofspoons.com. They talk to damn near everybody who had something to do with The Room. It's amazing the work that he put into this and his crew. You've heard him on the podcast. He's been on a couple times. He's a great guy. He's supporting this show. So check out roomfullofspoons.com. And now, back to the show. All right, welcome back. And I got a question I got to ask you, which is, how do you know when it's like one iris too many, one iris too <laughs> less? Because there are a lot of irises uh-huh. in this film. How do you know that perfect amount of irises? When you're <laughs> when you're editing the film, when do you say, nope, too many it's irises? A re- it's a really a question that, that, um, that comes up. I mean, honestly, because what do the irises signify and are they only about the closing of chapters or are they only about uh, focusing the audience's view? And I I don't know. I don't know if they serve as a consistent in a consistent way throughout the movie. But um, all the irises were were in camera. Mm. Um, We had this little like we had this little contraption um, that uh, Chris, the DP, uh, sort of built. It was a very, very simple like, you know, like there's a there's like a an iris. um drop in that you can use on stage lights right you can basically like focus a light or make it smaller or bigger and that's basically what he did he just did it in front of the camera that makes sense because they don't look fake and shitty yeah you know? although i think you can make you could probably make make them in post that look almost indistinct i don't know if you yeah. guys did you guys see wild canaries that had some awesome no, awesome I- iris work so you brushed up on your iris work going in yeah, did, did studied it. Yeah, <laughs> no, actually, Wild Canaries was at South by Southwest. So, oh, okay. so I saw. I was like, oh, it's the it's the year of the iris. Did um, anybody try to talk you out of using that thing and doing it in post? Uh, probably, but nah, Chris was up for it. I think it's fun. Yeah, we the the we we did shoot uh, a shot that I was excited about, where we had a instead of an iris, it was sort of like a um, more of an Ophels and Lola Montez thing, where it's like a two things closing in on right, the thing the, just making it more, more like a square thing yeah and we we ended up not using the shot but that was fun too because he built a whole like little thing <laughs> which is i think what you really get is like a, kind like of a awkward, cabinet with yeah, sliding doors not quite consistent like the way it moves in and stuff but irises i think are they're sort of uh, unavoidably old-fashioned now so they kind of uh have that have that baggage which makes them always seem like slightly kitschy but they're just like they're great tools because they 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 really do purely focus your eye mm. and can kind of uh it's a way of cutting or leaving something or opening up something in a way that's gentler than a than a fade up or um, maybe a little bit more playful but yeah 
it, it is definitely like a quite, I mean, at one point, I think one of our, one of the people who watched the movie is like, why do you have an iris here? I don't even know. Why, why is that there? And we also ended up using it just because I like the feel of it, but it was a valid quest. I was like, I don't know. Was there a cut of it that was just all irises? <laughs> yeah, there was. There was. The super, are we yeah. going to get that on the DVD? The super the iris super cut? super iris cut. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. It's and then, constant. You know, if I've learned one thing, it's kids, the kids want more irises. <laughs> It's the cow, it's like the cowbell. Of, yeah. Uh, so about about DVD actually. When when can we expect a DVD? Is that a is that a possibility? It's a possibility. I just don't I just don't know. I mean, yeah. it's a discussion with the with the distributor in terms of uh, just the feasibility of it and the, mm -hmm. in terms of cost and stuff. I'd be interested in trying to do like a kind of on demand Blu-ray or DVD thing where we put a nice little package together. Maybe I should ask you guys, what it, would people buy a Blu-ray? Look, look to your left. I know, I know. Look that's to your true. right. They go next to your Joe, your Joe Rogan uh, yeah, you like that collection one? there. See, I'm all digital on the other hand. <laughs> right. You don't, you don't buy any physical media anymore? Not really. I do sometimes, and I, I don't, wouldn't say I usually regret it, but I don't. I really like having like Hitchcock's masterpieces on Blu-ray. I like mm -hmm. having 14 of those. I was just talking about my Ford Fox set today, this morning. Yeah, I, I have like that, that too. Yeah. Yeah. But that's DVD, right? Yeah. So it's like, yeah. So you're, but st it still always like, feels like, fuck, a, man. Like, oh man. It's like, it's not just not quite, not the resolution I want. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't, I mean, it, it is for a movie like this where that's, they're just so, there's just so little money and every, I, I don't know. I don't know if there's a way to study what the, what the demand would be for a Blu-ray, but mm. well, maybe it'd be out there. All right. The freaking Criterion collection would just, uh, hey. come a knocking. <laughs> <laughs> That's not going to happen. <laughs> well, you could put some sweet extras on it. I mean, you could do the yeah. documentary about the coyote prop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Interview History with of the dead coyote. Yeah, an interview mm. with the real Earl. <laughs> yeah. What did he think of the movie? He was uh, utterly baffled. He, uh, <laughs> we we were, I, I, when I went over there and he's he has enjoys drinking and I do too. And so we started just on white wine and we're just, we're pretty half in the bag by the time we started the movie. And he just kept asking, like, is that me? Is that me? Is that the character? He was like, no, no, hold on. And when Austin, when Austin Benelman came on and said, I was like, that's you. That's you, Earl. Can I, can I swear on this? Of course. Uh, he turned, he turned to me and goes, you cunt. <laughs> he was like, he was like, I have a much better neck than that guy. <laughs> but, uh. It was fun. He was, you know, the it was it was interesting. It was very because I hadn't watched the movie in a long time, and it was really interesting and kind of uniquely stressful. I was drunk enough, so it wasn't too stressful. But uh, to watch it with an, an eighty-five-year-old yeah. guy who's not watching a lot of indie cinema, mm. um, I became much more aware of how the movie does jump around a lot and how it isn't, um, you know, it's the lack of establishing shots or just like you know space between scenes it does make it kind of a tougher sit for some. What, some, what would be your drink for the movie if you were going to recommend somebody have something with it? Uh, well, whiskey is the one that's that's <laughs> that's just referenced more than anything. Uh, I was on Jim Beam when I was watching it. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, probably scotch. A blended, like a shitty blended scotch. Yeah, a doer, like right a, on the a border. Doers, yeah. A doers, if you will. Get that Scottish heritage going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Mm. It's all about my Scottish heritage. <laughs> something that I really enjoyed was that you showed... Uh, Ketchup and fake blood in the same movie, which is awesome. Like next to each other. <laughs> well, technically, it's it's that was steak sauce. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, see, no. this IMDb page is just getting longer and longer. We're just gonna yeah. plug in oh, all yeah. this trivia, <laughs> all this great trivia. But so yeah, in you, minute twenty eight. Yeah, no, but you had you had the ketchup on the floor, and then you had I guess the steak sauce next uh -huh. to it, which is like, and I really mean this. It's like a great 
like movie blood looks a million different ways in a million different movies. Uh-huh. And you, you never know what the blood's going to look like in a given movie. Is it uh-huh. going to look bright red? Is it going to yeah, look yeah. darker? Is it going to yeah. what? So you see the ketchup on the floor and then you see what is supposed to be actual blood next to it. Uh-huh. And that's like a great, it's like, all right, well now we know what blood looks like in this universe kind of thing. <laughs> it's like a great, it, it, you play with that really nicely by showing two substances that both yeah. could be the movie blood next to each other. I really, I really dug that. I thought what, that was, what I was like, what I want, well, the reason that I wrote that scene was just because it was just a, a, I actually realized lately there was an anecdote that Louis C.K. T- tells on WTF that there must have been an influence on me to write that scene because there is, he does mention at one point like dropping a bottle of Tabasco or something back when he was in his early 20s in New York and just leaving it there <laughs> for like six months or something. It was just like almost like cordoned off. But I I, I liked it, the, this kind of um a very quick example of someone paying for their neglect, you know, basically just letting something drop, creating a mess yeah. and just being like, uh, <laughs> and, yeah. then, and then eventually getting bit, bitten in the ass for it. And it's fun. It's fun to hear that crunch when he steps on the glass. Yeah. Well, it's it's got it's got that great like home alone quality to it. <laughs> yeah. I mean also actually it was funny that that scene too and it doesn't quite come off in the movie the way it happened to me in real life, but I once in my dorm room at a dorm room or whatever the fuck it was at, at Columbia. Uh it was a terrible suite of rooms and I was uh I a friend was coming and I I cut myself on my bed frame. And it was in, on my foot and the, it was bleeding really heavily. Mm. And I had, and it was like a friend of mine. That's who like I a was, prison injury. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. Well, they, they, it was like a razor sharp bed frame. <laughs> uh, and I had no band-aids and uh, my friend Ben was coming over and I had to basically like, and we weren't like super close, <laughs> but I was like, Ben, can you come over and bring band-aids and can you bandage my foot? <laughs> so it was just him like, you know, just just like oh god all right <laughs> trying to trying to keep the blood from coming out and it was just like a weird like ma- like two dude friends in a in a moment of you know intimacy and like wounding and i thought that was it that's one of the things i i came away from this movie is realizing like oh band-aids are like really important like i yeah, should always yeah. have bat and band-aids absolutely like i w- i would be you know my grand conspiracy theory was that like this movie was funded by like band-aid yeah. Like big band-aid. Like this was like a viral sort of like they're get they want the indie demographic, so they make a whole indie movie. <laughs> they want that sweet whole indie, indie demographic. Just the, the entire film. <laughs> just put it out there and then like the secret PSA message is yeah. gotta have band-aids in Absolutely. the house. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 If I've if I've if I've, you know, if I've influenced at least just one person to, yeah. to buy band-aids before they go home tonight. Uh, I mean, it's, I mean, one, it's actually, it's kind of bound up in my nightmare there there. It's funny. My, 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 uh, partner, girl, girl, I don't know what to call her anymore. Partner. Does partner sound dorky? Producer. We've been together for 13 (laughs) years. So girlfriend, partner, uh, my producer, uh, she's a, she's been out of town on a job. And so I've been home alone and echoes of the men keep coming back every day. Cause I'm just like, (laughs) I just become this kind of feral, you know, slob. And I think the ultimate nightmare for me is like, if I do, <laughs> if I do just like injure myself horribly, <laughs> I'll have no way to fix myself. You know, I'll have like, I haven't planned it for this at all. You know, well, it's art not having band-aids. imitating <laughs> art, exactly. imitating. Yeah. It's actually stuck in a yeah. spiral of that. And it's just like about paying for neglect. I think, I think that's like something I'm, I've just, cause I'm just fascinated by it. Yeah. Do you think that's one of the 
the most important te- takeaways you think for somebody watching that film? Is that like your sure, thesis? I mean, I, th- I think it's something that maybe is, I don't know if it's takeaway so much as like a, a connection point for a yeah. lot of people. Ultimately, I have dude, known a lot of like scruffy dudes yeah. <laughs> who like the movie and I'm like, <laughs> you guys know neglect. Yeah. You know this, uh, this. I was going to ask do you, do you relate more to one brother over the other or do you see yourself in both? I see. I definitely see. I have an older brother. Mm-hmm. He's six years older. And, uh, but the, there's not, it's not a real, they're not real analogs for either of us. He's definitely not as nasty as Matt is. And I'm probably in some ways, I, I'm, I'm sometimes nastier. I'm, I have more anger, but I think we're kind of composites of the two. I would, I guess I relate more to, I guess I relate more to Alan, but I guess, I guess kind of the way that the narrative works, you're supposed to relate more to Alan because mm-hmm. he's just dealing with this this Tasmanian devil coming into the apartment and just kind of trying to handle this storm. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I think, I think they're both trying to get their lives together, but each in their own way. And I, I don't know, I guess I just relate to both of them. But part of the fun of writing a, a character like Matt, Josh's character is uh, just writing someone who's just a kind of asshole. Yeah. You know, who basically is just kind of says whatever occurs to him. Um, doesn't really, you know, he's, he's alone because he's never really worried about bringing people closer mm. uh, and he's never really, um, he lets every relationship kind of butt break and that can be kind of fun to write. That's the, that's the fun of watching Mike, Mike Lee's naked. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just Which, like watching a, a kind of, a, a, a brilliant, uh, misanthrope, uh, just sort of dissect people. Yeah. Um, which, you know, pretty clear influence naked. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting to watch that movie in terms of like a audience sympathy, because I don't think you, I don't think you have to like a character at all. I think, but it's, I think it's tough if you don't understand a character mm-hmm. and he, there's something you really understand about him. And it's funny how, I don't know if you remember in the movie, there's a, there's a character who's even worse than him. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's, I think really how Mike Lee basically can keeps you just not completely running around, running out of the theater yeah. is by having this like, basically like, well, at least he's not this sociopath. <laughs> And also yeah. Josh and I were talking about like, the other thing you, you know, to kind of, it helps if a character is in a, in a way entertaining, you know, if he makes jokes and if he, you know, he's, I think it's, uh, it's something cathartic about that. Have you seen Anomalisa yet? No, no. I want David to. Thewlis is, is amazing. Oh yeah. yeah I saw he, that he was a voice. That was so, that was so cool. Cause he just, didn't, and disappears into it yeah. too, really. I feel like the last time I saw him might have been Warhorse. Did you mm. see Warhorse? Oh, I loved Warhorse. I, lo- I loved Warhorse. I too. feel like we're a rare breed. <laughs> we are very Warhorse. We have to, yeah, it's like witness protection for her. Yeah. Uh, no, I saw Ziegfeld. I loved it. I mean, it's just totally, you know, it's definitely an old fashioned entertainment, but I liked yeah. it more, more than Bridges Spies, even. Yeah, me too. The Bridges Spies, the color grading, I couldn't get past. No, really? Oh, yeah. where I saw it, it looked gorgeous, but. Uh, I'm just so tired. I had the same problem with Carol to a lesser extent. I'm so tired of the past being desaturated. Oh, it's so funny. I don't think of those as desaturated. But yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that all started because of Spielberg. Basically. Yeah. I mean, he... Saving Private Ryan was you the... You know, like, I got nothing but good things to say about that yeah. one. And, and Schindler's List was, I mean, really the first to do it. But yeah, like at this point, I would like a bright, sunny, cold war. <laughs> yeah, know? exactly. Let it be a nice. 70 degree day. Nicely. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. But uh, I want to ask you about Sundance Labs because that's been uh-huh. popping up. You did not meet Joan Darling when you were there. <laughs> no, I didn't. No, I had it. We uh, she was not available for some reason. Joan Darling does the day of basically directing the actors with the directors, and uh, we had someone else. I cannot remember her name. So I felt 
like I was being cheated out of that. Yeah, she's, I don't even think she realizes, but she's my spirit guide in a lot of ways. Wow. She's delightful. She's delightful. She's amazing. Wait, so what is is your guy's connection to Joan Darling? I interviewed her once a couple years ago because um, I was, I was very interested. This was like maybe 2012, 2013. This is right when people were really starting to talk about, you know, there just aren't that many women directors. Uh Uh-huh. And she was, you know, like the first Uh really good... And also at the time I was watching the Mary Tyler Moore show uh-huh. and she directed the episode of that. That was like TV guy channels, like number one episode of all time. The clown one. Yeah. The clown. Oh. One. She directed that. <laughs> and she directed this episode of mash and I would like flat out take a bullet for mash. Like all these weird little intersections with her career. Mary Hartman. I really liked. So finally I was like, I just got to find this woman. Uh-huh. So I sent Sundance an email and I didn't expect to hear anything back. And they were super nice. They're like, yes, we'll put you in touch with Joan. And I was like, thanks. And they put me in touch with Joan. Oh, that's cool. And I spoke to her for like, two hours. I was only supposed to, supposed to talk to her for like one. And in that two hours, I learned way more about making a movie than I think I learned in any other venue mm. in my life. Mm. You should read the interview. She's talking about, she, you know, she was the oh, leading lady to, yeah. in the first thing Spielberg ever directed. Oh, Duel? Or no, no before, before that, it was a Duel. TV episode. Oh, wow. And it's like a lost episode now. Wow, wow. Yeah, so she was talking about how like she was like being directed by Spielberg at like 23, and then she tried to get Roger Corman to hire Spielberg, and he wouldn't. Yeah. And it was just the craziest thing. Yeah. (laughs) Rare miss for Corman. Yeah. I mean, she's a, from what I've heard about her, she, she's uh, really got a a lucid way of approaching directing actors, which for me is still the scariest part of directing. Yeah. Um, Just, and that's actually something that's really kind of the focal point of Sundance Labs for better and worse, probably is just working with actors. You know, you bring in actors for your scenes and then you spend a whole day, you know, you, the, the way the days are made that you have a, a day of rehearsal, babe, basically. And then, then a day of shooting, which is like not how it is in the real world. But, yeah. um, it's interesting. I, I think I get, um, I'm definitely the least secure in that process of rehearsal and stuff. I'm just scared of sitting down and reading a script with actors. Cause I just don't know what to talk about. Yeah. Um, which is weird. Cause I, you know, I used to act, I act in high school and college and stuff. So I've been, I've done, I've done that process, but, um, I think it's the uh, questions from actors are the ones that, that, that give me the biggest fears. I love actors actually. I mean, I, 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 I don't know. I think the casting process is one of the most like fascinating processes. Did that um, experience though, like affect the kind of movie that it is because it's such an acting movie. Mm -hmm. The Sundance lab. Yeah. Yeah. But it was for a different script. Um, Really? Yeah. Yeah. No, it was this script called God at the time. I think it was, had a really pretentious title. Oh, it was called, I don't even want to say it. It's called Blood Abundance, which Oof. is, oh yeah, that's a toughie. It uh, could be like a trauma movie though. Yeah, yeah, know, yeah. To go either way. Yeah. Or like a bad English translation of like a Japanese yeah. movie. Yeah, it does sound like a translation. That's <laughs> yeah. the problem. But uh, yeah, I had I had this short called The Second Line that was at Sundance the same year I was there in the labs. Um, and they were both based in New Orleans and kind of based around Hurricane Katrina, but the feature was just became much about much more. And, uh, but I think, I mean, I definitely has a, has an influence. I mean, I think I learned things there about, uh, primarily about working with actors and stuff. You know, it's kind of cool when you directing a scene and like Robert Redford kind of quietly walks in and then to direct him. Uh, to tell him what chair to sit in. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just yelled. There was a, the one story I always tell is like once I was waiting for, I had Anthony Mackie was there with me and I was waiting for him and, and uh, one of Melanie Nichols King to, to show up for rehearsal. And that uh, Sundance Live is weird because the, all the, basically all the scenes are shot mostly in like ski chalets. 
because they're all there for this at the Sundance Resort. And mm. So you have all these weird locations. Mine took place in like 1970s New Orleans, so it was totally wrong. But I was just waiting in a bed in, in this bedroom for them to show up, and and Robert Redford came <laughs> early. So it was just me and Robert Redford for like you know a solid 10 minutes, just hanging out in a bedroom, just That's talking, mad into And then and then someone came by, a real estate agent should come by to show people the house. And they opened the door into the bedroom and there was this Robert Redford going, oh, hello. Oh, welcome in. <laughs> and it was, it was just funny. Did you feel like Faye Dunaway in Three Days of the Condor when you were alone with him? <laughs> oh, yeah. His hair, man, is amazing. Yeah? Oh, yeah. It's, it's lovely. You exactly. just want to touch it. Uh, yeah. Wait, when you never had it. Did he have a mustache? Butch Cassidy. Oh, Butch Cassidy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rare appearance of that mustache. Rare appearance of that mustache. <laughs> you yeah. look at that mustache as IMDb. It's just yeah. Butch Cassidy. <laughs> I was just watching all the presidents, Manning, and he's he's phenomenal. That's got to be your next step. Split diopters in the next one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, they're coming back. Yeah, Queen of Earth. Queen I of s- Earth had a lot of had a lot of split diopters. It was one- it's funny now because you don't need to. You oh yeah, no, talk right. about something you don't need to do anymore <laughs> as a split diopter because you know I think like I think Zemeckis probably he he splits the frame constantly. You never even yeah. know. But um, I'm actually almost more interested in experimenting with that, like kind of like a, a digital. Just how much you can push, like two, right. two fields of focus, mm. something way in the background and the way up close, and just you know, yeah, Greg Toland sp- splicing those, yeah. But was, but the digital version. There was one week of television this year that I think was a historic event because you had two different shows that did split diopter in the same week. Really, Fargo did it, and then that show Z Nation did it. Oh wow! In the same week. What is Z Nation? That's that um, zombie show that's not The Walking Dead. Oh, gotcha. which I'm stumping for, and is actually a pretty good show. And okay. I want to say that on air to everybody. Yeah, that show's pretty good. <laughs> watch, watch Z Nation, kids. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. I mean, it's it's funny that there's yeah a lot of visual ambition on TV now. It's yeah, cool. but like it, you are still attracted to that kind of sort of. I, I, I'm almost tempted to say breaking the fourth wall kind of visual. Yeah. Guys style that calls its attention to itself yeah. in some ways. Uh, I am. I mean, it's weird. I, there is an effect that happens day by day with like reading comments about the movie. I should stop for first off, <laughs> but you know, just like being aware of what people say about the movie and also aware, of, you know, people have talked about like the influence of Arnaud de Plachin and it's like, it's not that much like different. <laughs> it's like, I love him, but in, yeah, the movies, I, I wish it were more like a dip. You know, I, I, I could only dream, but um, it does kind of, it creeps into you. It's, you become a little bit more self-conscious about those things you tried because you'd never tried them before. Yeah. And to do them again, are you, are, are you trying anymore? Are you just sort of falling back or is it, are you trying to create some like weird personal trademark or, right? but I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's, it's, best to just ignore the noise about it and i hope always to uh, more than anything just to sort of be as kind of bold as possible with tone and just not worry about consistency of tone and not worry about consistency of rhythm and pace just like really trying to push the limits of that but yeah i mean i'm, I'm always interested in fun it's funny i just watched did you guys see a more foo no, no, yeah. uh, jessica mm-hmm. hausner it's like super restrained it's you know it's basically just it's a movie, but it's the, the visual life of the movie is just like a kind of delayed reverse shots. Basically, it'll be like someone sitting in the corner of the room and you're holding on them for maybe a minute and wide. And then it'll cut around and you realize that there's four people on the other side of the room watching them. Oh, um, I love that. And, yeah. And that's kind of how the whole movie works. And it's, it's interesting. It's a kind it's of like, like Leone. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a little bit like Hanukkah a little bit. It's like, um, I don't think you even call it. Uh, it definitely has a definitely has like a very distinct European art house feel. Yeah. Um, 
but it's funny. Like I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I find myself in my mind just sort of stopping short of embracing too strict, a, a certain kind of style. Yeah. Um, because I don't know if I really be- believe my, that believe it. Yeah. Well, it's got to fit what you're doing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think, I think that, it does and it doesn't. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think sometimes uh, interesting things happen when you really try to shoehorn a narrative and, or shoehorn your story into something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you end up with maybe doing something completely un, uh, unexpected, you know, for you know, you're shooting a funeral and you do a bunch of wacky <laughs> yeah. handheld shots. Or something. Was there um, a lot of um, like I remember... Um, I think it was, I am probably read it on IMDb trivia, but I think M. Night Shyamalan, his latest, The Visit, he, he apparently did a cut that was straight comedy and a cut that was straight horror. And the finished version was kind of jumping between the two. Uh-huh. And that was his way of tackling like, all right, how do I nail? Because I want some stuff to be scary. I want stuff to, some stuff to be funny. Yeah. Did you do any versions of the film that were more geared towards comedy or more geared towards drama? Or like, how was the editing process as far as tone? Tricky, really tricky. Getting to us like a, a real rhythm was a big challenge. I think there's stretches in the movie, like when the the kid's dad comes in and stuff, that feel even in the way it's framed. But I don't know how conscious it was. Even the way it's framed and stuff, it feels a little more like a sitcom almost. Mm. Like people are walking into the frame and like just like you know it. And it's well, just, it's all around like a dinner table, which is such a it's all around a dinner table. And there's like a lot of singles and like kind of yeah. like just um single single Y, you know pretty standard but it, did you try get, that with a laugh track or <laughs> <laughs> see how it i almost you know i i don't know if you noticed it but i uh right before that scene he he when he basically uh reveals that his, their their father has parkinson's disease there's a gong that we put on a soundtrack <laughs> listen for it folks uh that 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 is purely just me fucking around <laughs> like yeah, like just like i remember when with our our sound mixer uh, ryan we were just trying to trying to figure out the 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 perfect volume of gong before it became too ridiculous. <laughs> but uh, I love stuff like that. But that's constantly, you know, the whole movie, I'm tr- I was trying to kind of like undercut toughness or undercut anger, or undercut machismo or whatever. Mm. Um, and so with the whole, you know, a lot of the movies about deflating and mock heroism and stuff. Uh, and so I, th- I guess ultimately it is, it is, you know, a comedy and that's so sort of, that's how we're cutting it and stuff. But, allowing certain scenes to just completely let go of that tone kind of in a way to just like bring us back to the real world and not completely let us kind of fall out of uh reality or this or the movie's reality anyway mm. but in, and also just i think and a lot of it comes from the music and stuff a lot of the scoring i think is has a huge influence on what the tone of the movie is i mean i think the score adds a, a lot of elements of a uh, dread in certain scenes that um I don't think you'd really get without the music. Yeah, you, the score you know, was really interesting. Yeah. It was yeah, it's weird. not what I expected when I started it. And then uh, I can't picture it without it. Mm-hmm. I can't picture it sounding any other way. Mm-hmm. Did you Did you know it was going to sound like that in your head? Not, I mean, yeah. Well, no, I mean, not, not exactly. I mean, we had, uh, it was very challenging. Uh, uh, Michi and Judd, who had never, um, They'd never done a movie score before, but they're both like really, really accomplished musicians and, and composers. Um, but it was challenging in it when, when Joe, our editor, did the cut, he used a lot of Judd's actual old compositions for temp music. That's helpful. Yeah. It's helpful, but also freaked Judd out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because, yeah, he's like, he's he listening to all his, these pieces he wrote. Some of them he wrote 10 years ago, and they're being used 
uh, under a scene and, you know, he, he has an idea of what the music is and then the scene is mm. changing the idea of what that music is. And so he's just, I think it just, it became a little like clutter in his head, hmm. but I think it helped ultimately because it showed um, that we were interested in, uh, you know, pulling the audience a different way with the music and weren't afraid of that at all. But it's hard to kind of, as a director to direct the, the composers to, uh, you know, essentially not, not always support the scene, you mm. know, like, yeah, it's not just, Oh, this is, you know, the scene is tense. I'd like some tense music, please. And you just, and, and I was, it was a whole pro but they were awesome. Oh, they're so smart. Like just trying different instruments out and trying different arrangements and like, just, um, what about this? What about this? It's definitely a thrill. It's a very challenging part of the process, but really, uh, thrilling. I think. Was that when it like, came together for you is that the moment that it like felt like a movie and you had it yeah down? i mean i think music i think music does that i mean i think sound in so many ways like ties everything together yeah um and makes things feel like a kind of cohesive you know the cuts aren't as hard the scene to scene transition is art as hard everything watches a little when you're watching it everything moves a little bit more fluidly a little faster um but yeah when i when a piece of scoring like really clicks it just you're just like oh okay this is like your, your, this is the feel of the scene. Um, and I can carry this feel from one scene to the next because the music is continuing under it. Yeah. You know, the music is really the only thing taking us to, you know, to, to the next scene and like really carrying over this feeling of dread or, um, uh, anxiety. And it's just really fun. It's hard to know with like with irises or whatever, like how much music to have, mm. how much is too much. I tend to think now that uh, movies can take a lot of music, <laughs> like yeah. you know, push it. Uh, they don't often, you know, get a lot of music these days, but at least not in the indie world. But yeah, it, it's almost like you um, people get self conscious about it now. Yeah, it feels like a cheat. I think yeah. I think people are worried about the cheat, but I don't. I don't. I think that's stupid. And then you look at. I mean, something, it's not a cheat. Not, <laughs> everything's a cheat. I don't know. Yeah, and then you look at something like Birdman, which I think was held together by the fact that they were just very unabashed about the specific kind and amount of the music. Yeah. You know, like everybody remembers the shots from that, but what I really remember was that movie saying, fuck it, old, uh, you know, swing jazz. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's not logical at first, yeah. and then it makes perfect sense by the That's end. That's why I liked Birdman. Yeah. I was, no one, no one likes Birdman. On film, Birdman on film Twitter. got mad backlash. Oh my gosh. Birdman, everybody's about, and now everybody's... To the point where, like, I almost feel like I'm being gaslighted because I remember liking it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's like, yeah, David Russell and Inuritu are the two have become the two. Yeah, like the backlash director. Revenant. <laughs> everybody's going crazy making fun of Revenant. I think it looks really good. I'm yeah. super excited for yeah, it. Yeah, I'm very excited too. Because it's, I don't know, there is like that that it can be. It, there's definitely a fine line between being adventurous and being pretentious, or being adventurous and being sloppy. Yeah. But uh, I'd just rather be watch someone being sloppy and adventurous than a perfectly calibrated piece of uh, narrative art. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, I mean, I mean that's maybe that's maybe that's all. I'm Maybe I'm just covering my ass, too, by saying that I'll never be able to create a perfectly calibrated piece of art because my my brain's too scattered. Well, and so I so I immediately <laughs> gravitate toward. Oh, I can sense the <laughs> he can't pull his shit together either. So, yeah. First movie, like movie we bonded over, Cody, was Mikey and Nikki. Yeah. Because we both were just oh, yeah. obsessed with this idea of like messy cinema. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which yeah. is still a, a hallmark of the the smug film brand. Well, that one, uh, <laughs> Mikey and Nikki is, has that deceptive quality to it. Whereas like if you if you really sit down with Mikey and Nikki and analyze it, 
It's it's so perfectly structured. Yeah. But it never loses that that like freewheeling quality. But like mm-hmm. if you get all the information mm-hmm. that you need about like the bad guys and what's going on mm-hmm. and you get just enough expository information mm-hmm. amidst that 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 craziness. And I think that's, I, that's hard to do. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a lot harder than creating a perfectly constructed timepiece of a movie. Yeah. You know, like, I think it's probably much harder to make Mikey and Nikki than Shawshank Redemption, which yeah. is nothing against Shawshank Redemption because yeah. it's a really good movie. But, you know, you pretty much that's a you have the uh, the number dots and, you know, pretty much. Yeah. How to draw the picture. Yeah. And, the whole movie feels outlined. Yeah. Um, which I, you know, I enjoyed, too. But um, and that comes across sort of like voiceover, too, and how that kind of that's that's the, the one tool that's even more powerful than music is voiceover, which can just basically make the entire thing cohere in a way that could be could be manipulative but also feels more comforting or set it completely on fire you know yeah, it's like yeah. one or the other yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's true voiceover like even even more than anything else i think is the one that people now like none of us really have the guts anymore <laughs> oh yeah i mean uh it's yeah because it's it's the, one of those almost cliched kind of film school lessons like oh no don't use don't use it's it's stupid I think you should be able to use anything. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, like, look at, like, I think Listen Up Philip used voiceover really interestingly, like something that, where it's just like, it, it's kind of, it exists in its own plane. It's not just someone telling you what happens to the characters or what, you know, it's, it's like, a, there's an ironic component to it that I think makes it. Yeah. Like Barry Lyndon. I mean, Barry oh, Lyndon, yeah, it's totally, that movie probably wouldn't work without yeah. how funny that voiceover is. Yeah. And it's, it's not funny until you put it in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, both enhance each other. Yeah. Which there's another one you talk about that mishmash of styles because it's so stately. And then all of a sudden it'll just explode into those handheld shots. Oh yeah. That you don't see coming. <laughs> yeah. At all. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the one time when you, Kubrick was very open to just like losing control. Like yeah. His, especially like Clockwork Orange and that where he's just you know, going crazy with hand. I mean, yeah, he's, 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 he's just one of the, he's one of those directors I just love. I think he influences me probably in ways that I don't really totally act on, but it's just like, I will always stop to watch his stuff. Yeah. 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 He, he has a, just a, he, there's just a, an essentially kind of, maybe it's a, I don't know if it's cynicism or if it's just pure, like a kind of just a sarcastic view of life that I just really, really relate to. Just like the weird scene. Like I just watched eyes wide shut for Christmas and, uh, God, what just a, like the what tonal a, what way. A movie. Yeah. Such a, <laughs> That scene with Alan coming, which is just so weird, like the way he's acting and how over the top it is, but also, yeah, you know, it just feels like it's a trick on the audience, but also a trick on the character. I don't know. And even like the phrasing in the 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 warning note they send him, it's like <laughs> it was written by the Barry Lyndon narrator. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's that same sort of like courtly, I'm going to murder you thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Cease yeah. your inquiries or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Cease your inquiries. <laughs> Uh, he was he's fearless i think was the the trick with him yeah kubrick you know like he was never messy cinema but he was always fearless about yeah we'll see what works and we'll get it to where it works yeah yeah he was obsessive i think in an interesting way i'm sure it slowed him down a lot slowed everyone down who was around him too but yeah um interesting you wonder if the like that will will get that moment back in cinema where someone has is obsessive and also has just limitless resources. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not, but George Lucas, you know, now that he has billions of dollars and he's going to make experimental films. So. Um, yeah. I mean, God, I would love for that to happen. Yeah. I don't I think it's going to, I don't think it's going to happen. I hope <laughs> to be able to see them. You know, I hope that yeah. he, there's some way to see them. Cause like the he's thing, not gonna, he's not going to, there's no way I'm, I'm crossing my fingers, hoping 
It's like the thing with like, uh, I don't know if you know, but Vincent Gallo doesn't release his movies anymore. Like that's his thing now. He makes, mo- <laughs> he makes movies and he's like, I'm done with letting people see the movies. He's, he's like, I like making movies, so I'm just going to make movies, but I'm not going to so show he is, them. He's currently making movies. He, he made two movies that he hasn't released. Well, that's, a, that's a tough one. <laughs> They're to, just sitting there. To f- I wonder how you convince a financier to... Well, I think put up the money for a movie that won't, won't be released. They're probably self-financed at this point. They're they're pretty small hmm. things, but they're movies and they're his, and yeah, we're yeah. not seeing them. Yeah, it's an interesting approach because like George Lucas kind of alluded to the fact that like he's probably just gonna be dicking around by himself, and we yeah. probably won't see them. But he should finance other people. I mean, he used yeah. to. Yeah, that, that he'll never do. Yeah, he used to though. <laughs> he was really good about it. He, um, Roger Christian, who was the. Uh, one of the set dressers on the first Star Wars, who's the guy who built R2-D2, he, they, they used to do, for the road shows of the Star Wars movies, they did like a short before them. And Lucas didn't like the short before the first Star Wars. It was like some cop movie. So he just gave Roger Christian um, financing, like twenty or 30000 or whatever. And he made like a 30-minute movie about, um, it was called Black Angel. It's on iTunes now because it was finally rediscovered. It was yep. a big mm-hmm. thing last year when they rediscovered Gorgeous it. Gorgeous movie. Yeah, yeah, and it was just this sort of thing where Lucas... He just, you know, he would send somebody off and it wouldn't mm. be a big deal and and they would just go make something and it was theirs. But it feels I mean, like you lose that now. Well, and he keeps just, talking about the Soviet Union too. And it's like, well, why don't you create your own little Soviet right? film? Yeah. Well, I, I don't know if he has the guts. <laughs> I'm going through a big period now too where I'm obsessed the past few months with Soviet cinema from the 70s. But like, yeah. I'm not sitting there pretending it was a, a place where you could get anything you wanted made. No. Because like... A lot of those movies he's talking about were uh, stopped from distribution when they found out they weren't uh, amenable enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like a couple of those, you go back to the 60s and 50s, a couple of those directors went, disappeared Yeah, the movies they made, you know? Yeah. You want to shout out that one you showed me today? Oh my God. I watched this movie the other day. I watched this on December 30th and it instantly became the last minute my favorite movie I saw in 2015. <laughs> it was called 100 Days After Childhood. Uh-huh. 1974 and it's about uh this summer camp uh-huh. and like this kid who falls in love with this girl that he's known since he was a little kid so he wants to try to impress her he's like a 15 year old so he tries to like recast himself as like a tragic byronic figure because uh-huh. he thinks that's what women are into uh-huh. so he puts like a fake cast on his leg <laughs> and he starts wearing like tweed and talking real coolly it's very funny and oh. it's it's exactly i think what um visually what Wes Anderson has been chasing after for his entire career. It's very (laughs) like locked down these beautiful, almost like dollhouse Uh looks. And it's just because that's what things looked like. Uh But then it's weird because things will happen. And like, like, you know how in all the summer camp movies, they go off and they go like fight the other summer camp in Mm -hmm. the, uh, in the football game or whatever. (laughs) In this case, they literally go with the other summer camp to the um, communal farm to pick cabbages and they competitively get pick cabbages. That's, that's the Soviet version. Competitive yeah. cabbage picking. That's their bad news bears. <laughs> How did you hear about this movie? I just, you know, it just came to me. Just came to Moss Film put all their movies on YouTube, and um, the actress was in this uh, Soviet version of And Then There Were None in 87, mm-hmm. which wasn't very good. Mm-hmm. But she was really good in it, mm-hmm. so I tried to track her down, and she was in this one. Oh, cool. And they have subtitles on YouTube? Yep. This one did, like half yeah. of their stuff does. This one I got okay. lucky. What were uh, some of your favorites of 2015? New movies? Yeah, any or anything you saw this year that maybe was I old, was but blank. you I just saw it. when anyone ever asked. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I saw some of the Nils Melmros movies. Did you see any of those at Lincoln Center? 
No. Uh, Tree of Knowledge or uh, Tree of Knowledge is like the, it was kind of the precursor to boyhood. Hmm. He shot it with kids and um, he's a Danish filmmaker and shot over a couple years. So you watch the kids kind of grow up. Oh, wow. Um, Was it good? It's amazing. Yeah. And his, I can't remember the titles of his other movies, but they're pretty amazing. All hyper autobiographical. What else did I like a lot? Did you like The Mend? The Mend is a fantastic movie. (laughs) Is that, does that break your top 10? Is that That's in there? That's definitely, yeah. Top yeah. five? All right. Top five. Um, <laughs> wait, what, am I, what, am I, what did I really like? I loved, I saw Mad Max three times. Yeah. Um, that was the best movie of the year. That was the best movie of the year. Definitely. For me, it's just wacky races. I can't get into it. <laughs> is that true? <laughs> yeah. I, that, that one didn't work for me. It, it felt too wacky races. I don't like wacky <laughs> races. <laughs> is this an actual genre? Yeah, no, but remember the cartoon Wacky Races? No. Oh, okay. Uh, I, <laughs> there, thought, I thought it was just you're just saying it's <laughs> it's just too wacky there, races. There was a there was a seventies late seventies thing that was Wacky Races where it was all the the like the Hanna Barbera like characters racing each other and they're mm-hmm. like crazy vehicles that don't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got a crazy vehicle and they're all racing and then in the end of each episode, some cartoon character will win. So it's mm. like you you you're watching it and you're trying to see who's mm. going to win. They all have to like fight each other as they're racing in like silly ways. Mm-hmm. And when I was watching Mad Max Fury Road, that's all I could think of. I would rather watch what you're describing than almost anything else. <laughs> like I'm very comfortable with cinema just coming down to weird races. Weird, <laughs> yeah. Like I'm I'm totally fine with that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I liked Elf for Leisure a lot. I don't know if you guys saw that. That's that, on the to-do list. Yeah, and uh, Wild Canaries I liked. That's the thing with so, 2015. Yeah. I feel like there's still so many I need to see. Did Faults you, was good. Did you see Faults? Was good. Really? Did you talk to the Alpha Leisure guys when you were in the uh, MoMA thing together? Yeah, a little bit. They have like a, they're kind of West Coast and they're more, it's funny, he, uh, I, I uh, what's his name, Lev? I showed him, a, I sent him a link to The Mend after he, after I saw Alpha Leisure and uh, he was funny. He made a comment like, I think your movie is doing the 70s the way my movie is doing the 90s. Because um, their movie is very 90s. It's set in the 90s. It's mm. Everyone's drinking Snapple. Uh, there's a lot of like, <laughs> there's a lot of like 90s chilling. So you, chilling. You, you had Band-Aid as a financier and they had Snapple as a financier. Yeah, exactly. That's how there this works. That's the, the, dirty, the, that's the dirty secret of indie movies. That's right. They're We're all, <laughs> all being financed by major corporations <laughs> who don't even know they're financing it's us. Just it's just really get, long commercials. Oh yeah. It's product. all branded content. That's, mm. that's what I, we're all about. Branded content. Mm. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> Breaking news. That's right. Uh, I'm trying to think of what else I liked. I didn't. I I just tried to watch Phoenix again, and I just I just I don't I don't know. Not feeling yeah. it. Not doing it. Mm. Um, and, and, and the racing. one that's gotten me in more trouble on Twitter is that I I don't love Carol. Me neither. Didn't love it, but it's all right. I'm totally with you on that one. Like that was a that was a very good movie. Yeah. But like I saw it, I saw it on I think Film Stage's list of like the best cinematography of the year, mm. and I like did a double take. I was like, "Is this the same movie?" Well, then you know, uh, the New Yorker, I think it was Richard Brody wrote extensively about the the the, the grain. Yeah, Brody's more, madly in love. More it. sentences on grain I've ever read. Yeah, I mean, I think it looks nice. I, I don't know. It's a. I just don't. I don't know. Maybe I, I just maybe I need to give it another shot. I'm sure I do, but then maybe it won't. My thing with it is I, I think I'm getting tired of movies about introverts, which is a big part of why I like The Mend. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, like functionally, you're not doing too much different from Inside Lou and Davis, which I didn't like at all. Oh, interesting. And I think a, lo- a lot of it is just like your movie is about people who aren't hiding their um, 
sadness and anger. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you imagine, if you imagine the mend without uh, Matt, the older brother, and it was just Alan, that would be basically a pure introvert movie. Yeah. And that would probably be not fun to watch. No, I don't think so. Um, Yeah. I think you need to be much more of an indie. (laughs) Yeah. That's (laughs) like closer to what Carol is. Like everybody's like Alan. (laughs) Yeah. But it's also a love story, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's brief encounter. Yeah. With Kate Blanchett, which is, you know, you can't, but it's just like the, the experience but. is funny. Cause it's like, there's it, people feel so strongly about it that I just, I have to, have to partially assume it's like, I just must've made Maybe it was my mood when I watched it. Maybe mm. I was hungry, you know, you're just yeah. like, so I definitely want to see it again, but it was funny. I just tried again with Phoenix cause that's making a lot of top five of the years. And, uh, no, I don't know. It's, it's like very well done, but I don't, I don't, I don't buy any of it. It's weird. But it's, you know, it, it, I have to say one thing about having a movie come out is that you become a little bit more self-conscious about talking shit about other <laughs> movies. Mm. You're like, maybe I should shut up. Now. Yeah. Todd Haynes is hearing this. Like, yeah. I'm going to get this yeah. fucking guy. I think we were, yeah. we were probably way too hard on speed Two cruise control earlier on. <laughs> yeah. We should have dialed that back. I just want to say that I really like speed Two cruise control. <laughs> I think it's a, you know, I think Willem, it's some Willem, Willem Dafoe's in there, right? Mm, is he the bad guy? Yeah, some of his best, yeah, some of his so, best yeah. work either way. Yeah, I haven't seen that since I was cut in school in 1999. You know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, it really I, was of a time and a place. I actually That's where you went. A, you're like, I gotta go to Speed Two. <laughs> I've got a Speed Two cruise control story that we can end on. Actually, it was when I was in high school working at a video store. There was this lady that would come in, and every week she would rent Speed Two cruise control on VHS, and it was just like the, we just knew her for that. We didn't know what day of the week it was going to be. But she would always end up renting Speed 2 Cruise Control and then bring it back the next day. So this happened for months and months and months. She would always get it. She would get other stuff too, but she would always rent Speed 2 Cruise Control. And she, it was just like this snickering thing that like, you know, us employees were like, what's up with that lady? And just like a lady in her 30s. You couldn't talk her into just buying it? Yeah, probably not. <laughs> I, I think they probably make more money just from the yeah, uh, yeah. daily rentals. But uh, yeah, just a lady in her 30s, fairly attractive, just renting her Speed 2 cruise control. And then I think like one day, some like one of the employees finally got up to courage to like ask her like, oh, yeah, you rent. Uh, <laughs> What's the deal? <laughs> you rent Speed 2 cruise control up. And she was like, yeah, it's for like my elderly dad. Like he doesn't remember like seeing it usually and i just rent it for him that got so sad <laughs> yeah it's, oh, it's instant, like groundhog <laughs> yeah it instantly turned into like the saddest story <laughs> yeah that could be a beautiful movie oh my god i would watch that short film <laughs> if, if that had been kim's the they would still have been kind of relentless about it, yeah making fun of <laughs> your dad has shitty taste <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah well your dad can never want to show your dad this movie it's better than <laughs> so what are your what are your all-timers Let's let's round oh. out you, you know, your film life. I immediately my mind went to the Magnificent Ambersons. Uh you're talking about movies? All time yeah. movies? Um No, baseball player. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love Roberto Clemente. Magnificent uh, Amberson would be a great old timey baseball player. Yeah. And that movie's funny. It it really doesn't end well, you know, the the, yeah. the kind of ending that got away. But the first thirty minutes of that movie are it's I can't think of anything better. Um Scorsese is like the, still the director I get the most excited about seeing a new movie from him and Paul yeah. Thomas Anderson. Well, Paul Thomas Anderson, I could see some of the, like the, 
the John Bryany like music and the iris yeah, and the, I'm sure that was yeah, yeah I'm sure he's, yeah there. I just like the I presence just, of Adam Sandler his most yeah. recent stuff yeah, yeah Adam, Adam Sandler, Sandler yeah. shows up in the men not to <laughs> yeah. spoil it for anybody uh, who listened yeah. without you know, yeah. watching the movie no well, you know he, all, yeah. a lot of the you know the happy Madison people show up in his film <laughs> yeah there was like a cutaway to Steve Buscemi <laughs> <laughs> eating, eating cantaloupe <laughs> yeah Rob <laughs> Schneider's digging through the yeah uh, I mean he's yeah. just funny. Yeah. That guy's just funny. <laughs> uh, David Spade always. Yeah. Uh, it's always nice to have David come by. It's just interesting. Like, you look you know, at the IMDb. He just for, fucks around. The He's IMDb so funny. for Ridiculous Six and yours seem to line up like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, pretty, I just like those guys. There's yeah. just like a freeness to those guys. I really mm-hmm. respect. Um, <laughs> uh, all time. I know there's, there's so many. I actually don't. I'm not a. I don't have a lot of. A, I'm pretty open about. Movie. Yeah, I like tons of different kinds of movies. And so I, I don't, you know, I, I and it, and it goes to, for new movies too. I, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm pretty forgiving for a lot of movies. Yeah. Um, you know, if things totally fall flat, I might be becoming less forgiving the more I'm on the other side and kind of realizing just maybe how uh, negligent the director was being. <laughs> really? <laughs> well, a little bit. Sure. That's yeah. interesting. Performances I, I, like I used to not care about now when a performance is bad. I'm like, you could have done better than that. Mm. Casting yeah. drives me nuts. If I see a movie where the, the, you know, just someone's totally wrong for a part or it's just kind of a, it's kind of like a hit. You could tell it was like a friend of the director, but it's not quite hitting it. I'm like, this is a good movie and you've messed it up by, you know, not just reaching out a little more, but, um, yeah, it has a weird, it has, it has a little bit of an effect on how you watch movies. I think it makes it generally almost more enjoyable sometimes. But then something like like the Revenant, I've been thinking about because I really want to see it. But I think I'll, I'm sure I'll love it because I'll just be so impressed by just whatever went into making yeah, the movie. You sure. know, you're just watching it, going like, "Oh God!" I just you know, even if it's pompous, you know, I don't mind a little bit of pompous now and again. No. You know, if you could, if you got the capital to back it up, yeah. Well, like uh, uh, I was in a little uh, my a minor Twitter discussion with um Nick Pinkerton and another guy I can't remember his name on Twitter about um. Uh, high and low, the Kurosawa. Mm, yeah. And he was talking, he was talking about how like the best Kurosawa is amazing, but you know, people, I don't know. It's like there, it's, it seems like a real, it seems like a big work. And so I think you know, people recoil from that because there's not much to discover when it seems like a big work of art, mm. you know, yeah. it's, everything's just too self-evident and everything's too, um, the whole talk about white, which still happens that there's a, a times article recently that trots out the white elephant art thing, which is just, uh, I don't know. I think sometimes people, it's a, sometimes good, really good work should just be acknowledged, even if it's clearly good. Yeah. Even if there's not that much that's being hidden or, you know, that, 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 that the, the, the critic doesn't have much of a position in terms of just discovering things or, or teasing out mysteries or anything. It's mm. just really good. And that's, you know, that was, that, that's like hard to not be impressed by when you're directing. You're just like, oh man. That's great. <laughs> you did you did that really well. That was the problem <laughs> Chaplin and Keaton and all of them had before uh, James Aggie. You know, nobody, mm-hmm. you couldn't really teach them except to say, these are just really good movies. Mm-hmm. So they almost, mm-hmm. you know, all those silent comedies almost got forgotten mm-hmm. because you can't, mm-hmm. you can't tease them out the same way you could mm-hmm. like a Vertov. Yeah, it's true. And I say that, but I'm also, you know, it's, I think we all like kind of, we're talking about, me- we like messes too. That's yeah. the whole thing. I like them. <laughs> I like them all. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm with you. <laughs> but uh Yeah. If you were in the, uh, you know, the Criterion closet, I don't know if you've seen those YouTube videos, <laughs> which you might be. Soon. I would just start masturbating. Yeah. <laughs> You're yeah. going to be the one, right? I want to be Somebody's got to be the I one. I would close the door. And say, <laughs> we oh, all know James Franco yeah. was the one. <laughs> give me some, yeah. Yeah. No, but hopefully you're, you're inv- asked uh, and you're invited and you, 
You're in the Criterion better, Closet. Better be. What what would be the ones you would grab like right away? Yeah, you think? That's a good question. Uh, Michael Powell stuff. Mm-hmm. That would be the first stuff I'd cut. He's he's probably in some ways his his movies have the, a kind of dreamlike quality that I think is very unique to movies. Um, and part of it is when they were made and stuff. But that's you know what I I kind of really value that kind of weird um in between feel. Mm. Um, yeah. I think Paul Thomas Anderson gets that actually a lot. Yeah. And, Scorsese too. Scorsese too. Did take a bullet for him? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Did you ever read the letter he sent him about after yeah. reading Goodfellas? He's like, I think this is very innovative. <laughs> good script. <laughs> um, what else would I? Geez, that's a good question. Well, you should go for the ones with the high price tag. Just yeah, to, the box sets. Yeah, yeah flip them. Yeah. Grab all those. Cassavetti's box set. Flip them on eBay. <laughs> yeah, flip, flip them on eBay. <laughs> it's funny now that still people still do get very excited about you know Criterion releases, even though I. I feel like people don't watch Blu-rays and DVDs as much, but it's still like this. And I'm glad it still exists, but I'm, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting that people still get excited about physical media in some ways. Cause I have Hulu and I have half the Criterion collection yeah. just there to stream. Um, and stuff that it doesn't even have a Criterion DVD release, but they like just I have was the a teenage zombie, which for the record, one of the greats. And yeah, that's, let's, let's say oh, yeah. that again. Let's, I was a teenage zombie. You want to talk about messy cinema? Yeah. <laughs> There's your one. <laughs> they only have it up on Hulu. The director, he was like a trauma guy. He made one movie, then he disappeared and became a monk, and nobody knows what happened to him. Oh, wow. And he left us. I was a teenage zombie wow. with a bad guy as a zombie named Mussolini. <laughs> what? <laughs> it exists. I it's love those movies. Movie. Yeah, those kind of like those movies where someone's just throwing everything they they know or they think they know yeah. into a movie. <laughs> and so you just get these weird combinations. Yeah. Um, All right, we're gonna wrap it up here. Uh, any any final thoughts for the audience? Any anything you want to leave uh, the just listeners keep, keep with? Keep your dreams. <laughs> keep the dreams alive. Just keep dreams alive. You know, don't give up. <laughs> don't give up. You heard it here first. Yeah. <laughs> That's my only advice. Uh, thank you for being on the show. Thank you thank for you. your thank you for your film, man. Thank hey, you for making thanks. something I enjoyed. Oh, good. Yeah, I'm glad. Yeah, congrats. Yeah, enjoy. In, yeah, enjoy watching. It. I wish you great success it's on with Netflix. It. Continued success. Yeah. Cool. Yes. Thanks, man. And thank this you all. Fun. Yeah. Thank you all for listening. See you soon. Bye bye.